0: And we're back. Mike Cernovich, Cernovich.com. If you're listening to this anywhere else, you should go to rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich. That's dot com forward slash Cernovich. Become a subscriber. A lot of good perks there. Exclusive content, all the newest stuff. And frankly, it's the right thing to do. What have I been up to? Where have I been? I'm in, I'm in, a, weird, I'm in a weird place, bros. Uh, um, in a good way in a good way. I am having the inverse of a midlife crisis. And I thought that'd be a fun thing to talk about because we hear a lot about a midlife crisis. We've seen a lot of data, and you can go find it yourself, about the the happiness slope for men. So men are most happy when they're young and when they're old. And there's a lot of theories about that. The idea is when you're, say, 18 to 30, 18 to 35, you feel like the world is full of unlimited possibilities. You also have more testosterone, and we'll talk about that later. And then when you hit 65, you're grateful every day to wake up. So you're you're actually happier at 65 than you are at 45. Because when you're 45 to 55, uh, a number of things happen. The roosters come home to roost biologically. They come home to roost psychologically. So the dead zone for men and actually the greatest risk of male suicide is when they're in their teenage years, because your brain's not fully developed. And then when they hit middle age, which I'm happy to say that I'm middle-aged. So I never, I never had a dirty 30 party when I was turned 30. I remember somebody invited me to their to their dirty 30 party. And I thought this is just kind of dumb. I'm at 30. I was still in the prime of life and I still feel great. So I, I don't feel strange saying I'm a middle-aged man. I say that I'm an old man because I'm a, I am have an old soul. I was old as a kid, and I've always been interested in old topics. And I'm, I'm old now. I'm 43. But my happiness, I'm not in that dead zone of unhappiness. It's more like the opposite. I feel like, holy, S-H-I-T, I have had a hell of a run, man. And I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to do next. But that's why I'm so happy and upbeat. Whereas most people face the opposite. You hit your 40s and you start to realize that, hey, man, you wasted a lot of time. You wasted a lot of time. You made a lot of bad choices. You didn't hit life hard. You didn't take care of your body. Nutrition wasn't on point. Your hormones now are gradually falling. So you have lower testosterone. Your blood sugar is off kilter because you have poor insulin sensitivity or what people call insulin resistance. You have mitochondrial dysfunction. The roosters are coming home to roost. So the 40s are really, that's the test. That's the test for you as a man. That really is, uh, go time maybe isn't the word, but that's when the report card comes due because like, I'll give you an example. I'm 43. I'll bring that up a hundred times because I like it. It sounds good to me. I feel just, I like it because I feel so good. It feels like I'm owning it. And I can't just wake up and be, whoo, let's get going, bros. When you're younger, you can party, smoke a pack of cigarettes a night, get drunk, you wake up, you take a two-mile run, you sweat it all out and you're good to go. You look cute, it's all there for you. When you get older, you have to work harder to just maintain a baseline level of fitness, a baseline level of psychological wellness. You can't just show up, so to speak. But the flip side is that when I was in my 30s, I didn't just show up. When I was in my 20s, I didn't just show up. When I was in my late teens, I didn't just show up. I was always going hard. And now I just go hard. But what you get out of going hard is going to be a little bit different and you change a little bit. And that's why I mean I'm I'm at an inverse midlife crisis. Everything has gone definitely not according to plan. We've had a lot of hiccups, man. We've had a lot of trauma. A lot of trauma we've had a lot of pain a lot of unexpected so-called black swan events even though that's a term that maybe doesn't apply we've had a lot of bad luck we've been punched pretty hard by life and that's everybody you're gonna the pain's coming right the pain is coming whether you hide from it or not it's going to come and that's why you want to become robust because when the pain comes it'll hit you less you'll have tools to deal with the the pain So for me, I'm sitting here thinking, what do I even want to do next? Whereas most people start thinking, wow, I missed out on a lot of opportunities. All these people who were doing things that I made fun of or that I ignored, they're all where they want to be and I'm not where I want to be. And that's when the depression comes in. That's where the midlife crisis comes in. That's when you trend down and you enter that dead zone of being a man, the 40s and 50s, because... You have to reconcile what you're doing, what you did with where you are. You have to reconcile. The report card came due. You can't live in denial anymore. You can't just say, I'm going to wake up and everything's going to change. The good news, though, is you can always change. That's gorilla mindset. That's the fundamental principles of mindset work and the tools. But the lesson is that if you are younger, and I wrote about this many years ago, and I've said it over and over again, and I'll continue saying it over again, don't waste your 20s. And now that I'm in my forties, I'll say don't waste your 30s. Because if you do, you're gonna be a sad panda, you're gonna be a bummed-out dude, you're gonna be a bitter, jaded, middle-aged man. And where you wanna be is sitting in a place where you have a lot of freedom, a lot of possibility. For for example, I released a blockbuster film hoax last year. The numbers don't lie. You can go see that it was an independent film bestseller multiple weeks. It, sold, it outsold actually films with 10, 20 million budgets. It almost outsold uncut, uncut gems only for a week though, obviously uncut gems. This is an amazing film that was like a being injected with adrenaline the whole time. I haven't. The pacing of that movie shows the power of cinema. But we were, you know, we were in the game, man. We were hanging. And then from there, people, oh, do another film, do another this, do another that. And I'm sitting here thinking, no, I want to do spiritual work. I'm spending an absurd, in a good way, amount of time with my family, with my wife, with my children. Somebody tweeted this at me the other day, which I thought was so profound and so wise. Quantity time leads to quality time. We all want shortcuts and that's where people do. I want to do interval training versus long cardio. How can I only work out for 20 minutes a day? That's what everybody wants is shortcuts. How can I only spend 30 minutes a day with my kids? You can't. Quantity time leads to quality time. The magic unravels slowly. Think about that. The magic is revealed slowly. This is in life. I'm so frustrated many days because God has shown me so much recently, and I'm, I want God to show me more. And then I get mad that God didn't show me this stuff sooner, I think. If I had been shown this by God in my 20s or 30s, where would I be now? And But then God tells me that's your problem, don't you see? Don't you see that I'm revealing the universe to you and your response isn't to say, thank you for revealing the universe to me. Your response is to say, why didn't you give it to me sooner? Why didn't you give it to me faster? Why don't you give me more now? More, 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 more and less time. It isn't that we just want more. It's we want more and less time. But the magic of the universe is revealed through quantity time. And I've seen this with my own daughter many, many, many times where we'll be hanging out for a long time. Nothing is necessarily happening. We're just holding space, being together. And then she'll look at me and say, Dad, I love you. Dad, I love spending time with you. And when that hits you, you want to talk about drugs, That, when that hits you, that's more powerful than any drug that you can ever take. That's more powerful than any shot of alcohol you can ever take or any hit of an intoxicant that you can ever take. But that doesn't happen when you start to play with your kids. Five minutes later, they feel that way. That's holding space with them for an extensive amount of time. Quantity time leads to quality time. That and that's true. I'm realizing now of all great truths, love is revealed in time. I love my wife way, way, way more than I ever did when we were dating. It's kind of funny. I look at old pictures of us together, and you know we were a very good-looking couple. I, you know, we're a good-looking couple now. But I'm like, I wasn't even grateful for who she was, but the flip side is she was a different person too. The flip side is I was a different person. The flip side is we didn't have the family that we had now. So we hadn't had that quantity time that revealed the magic of love and the magic of the universe. The universe and God, however you see it, will reveal everything to you, but you have to put the quantity time in. You can't just read a book. Now I understand which is funny because I'll read a book too, and then I'll understand, but I know I would never have read the book. I read The Alchemist, for example, recently, and a lot of people who read me, how dare you read that book? It's by Paulo Coelho, who's a far lefty in Brazil. And I thought, isn't that something? Cancel culture. So we have cancel culture too, where I can't enjoy a book that's of spiritual complexity and depth because of the politics of the author, as if that is of any relevance to me. Think about that for a minute. Don't read Guerrilla Mindset because Mike Cernovich is far right wing. Can't read it. A lot of people actually have started reading the book. And if you read the reviews on Amazon, they'll say, I started reading it. And then I looked them up on the internet. So they, and then I didn't read it anymore. And you think, wow, what a, what a weird way to live. So you read a book, you're getting value. And then you enter the artificial construct of the internet And that's where you find your truth. And that's what the left does often. I'm not going to do that. But I bring that book up only because when I read it, I remember where I was. I was flying back from a fantastic trip in Romania, the trip of a lifetime. A couple of you listening were there with me. We hiked. We had a great time. We took this wonderful hike up. And the hike down sucked, actually. We should have have ridden the trolley down. Uh, Pro tip, if you take a rigorous hike up, don't walk down because that we were we we're like halfway down. We're like, okay, well, this sucks, dude. Because going down a long steep hike is actually harder than going up it because it's hard on your joints. The gravel it, you slip down because gravity pulls you down, you get off balance. It wasn't very fun, but anyway, that was just a, a tip. Next time I'll ride the trolley down, and then we had a great big lunch after that trip of a lifetime. And on, on the way back from that, trip, I read The Alchemist because I resisted like everybody else. I thought it can't be that good of a book. And if I read the book when I was in my 20s, I don't think it would have had meaning to me. Or in my 30s, I don't think it would have had meaning to me. But when I read it at that stage in life, one of the messages I received from the book, and it was more implicit than explicit, because if you read the book, I don't want to give away the spoilers. You might find your own message. The message I took from The Alchemist was, that most of us don't seek our dreams because it's easier to never chase a dream and tell yourself you could have had that dream. Why is that easier? Because you don't suffer any loss. Oh, if I had really taken that shot in life, I could have done that thing. That's how you comfort yourself. That's how you opioid yourself, right? The 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 Mark said religion is opiate of the masses. That was wrong. Well religion is beautiful. Denial is the opiate of the masses. Delusion is the opioid of the masses. You know you feel pain because you didn't seek your dreams, but you tell yourself, oh, I could have had that. That is how you dull it. Whereas really when you chase your dreams, you're going to have, even if you get them, you're going to have scars. You're going to have pain. You're going to have real trauma. And you might not even reach your dreams, right? You might Seek your dream and fail, and now you have to feel the pain of loss. But the pain of not achieving your dreams is far less than the pain of never seeking your dreams at all. And so, as I'm reading that book, I was—it was like a time travel thing where I thought about the the decisions I made in my life and where I thought I was going to be, and how God had another plan for me, and how you know, three to five year stretch, my life was miserable. I don't want to say I was suicidal, because some people are truly suicidal, but I was in a really bad place, and then I had breakthrough, and then another time, this was relatively recently, I'm not going to tell you why, but I had another two to three year really bad stretch, bad stretch, guys, the kind of stuff where you, at night, is when the demons creep in, and then I got through that, another breakthrough, breakdown, breakthrough, and I thought about all of the pain and all the trauma was because I was trying to realize my dreams. Whereas I could have just phoned it in. I could have just chosen a conventional life. I could have just chosen a normal life. But then as I reached the age I'm at now, the report card would still come due. The report card would still say, look where you are, man. Look what you could have done. This is all that you did. And as you start to see your visions become fulfilled which again, it never comes easy. The whole parable of the alchemist is the trials that he takes. I've, I thought of a a funny meme when I was reading the book, actually. So Ronnie Coleman, kind of a bro bodybuilding meme, but you can find it. It's something like everybody wants to be a bodybuilder. Don't nobody want to lift no heavyweights, right? And it shows a big jacked Ronnie Coleman. He was probably the largest bodybuilder, most impressive bodybuilder of all time. And I thought about that meme as I'm reading the alchemist and just as I'm living my own life, my variation of that, the Jungian variation of that would be, everybody wants to be a hero, nobody wants to live the journey. Think about that for a minute. Everybody wants to be a hero, nobody wants to take the journey. The hero's journey is, of course, what I'm what I'm talking about. The hero's journey is what I'm talking about. The hero's journey, if you read about Achilles, Odysseus, any great story, Star Wars, which... I'm not really going to get into it right now because I think a lot of people watch too many comic book movies and maybe that's not healthy to have a Star Wars obsession. But it isn't easy, right? I want to be a hero, but I don't want to take the hero's journey. I don't want to deal with the pain of loss. I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to lose pieces of myself. I don't maybe want to get scars, psychological scars, physical scars. I don't want to take the journey, but I want to be a hero. Same energy as everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, everybody wants to be a big boy, everybody wants to be impressive, nobody wants to do what it takes to be impressive, everyone wants to be spiritually deep and complex and interesting, everybody, everybody, even if you say you don't, you're lying, you're lying to yourself, that's, you, again, you're opioid, oh, I don't really care, I don't, I don't want to be great, I don't want to be somebody, I don't want to be a, he-. bullshit, you have fantasies all the time, starting when you're a kid, Maybe they're unrealistic. Not everybody can play pro sports, obviously, but you can be a hero in your own way. So you have that beginning as a child I'm going to be the greatest at something. And then it never happens because you don't take the journey. You don't want to take the hero's journey. You don't want the pain. You don't want to be betrayed. You don't want to love and maybe lose that love because maybe the other, maybe it's unrequited love. That's the journey. I've been taking the hero's journey. I didn't know this. I had had a um, an abstract sense of, you know, Joseph Campbell's work and Jungian work years and decades ago, read that stuff, found it profound. But I, only in, in the sense of a book, I didn't realize that I was living my own hero's journey unconsciously, where I was pushing myself into situations where I was uncomfortable, pushing myself into situations where I was unhealthy where I was unbalanced, where I was maybe in some people's minds unhinged. But that was the journey. That was the pain, because then you get the pain. What does pain teach you? It teaches you how to to embrace pain, how to cope with pain, how to transcend pain, how to push through pain, how to integrate pain, how to integrate experiences. And then you come due, the report card comes due, you hit that unhappiness slope of men. And you're not the guy thinking, I could have been a contender. You're not that bum, right? That bum, the waterfront, the movie, what a metaphor for life. The guy threw a fight that he could have won. And there's that seminal moment, I could have been a contender, but now I'm nothing. Just a bum. That's what you're going to have to deal with. That's what's going to come to you. You could have been a contender. You're just a bum. Why is that? Well, because your choices. The beauty, though, the beauty of our age is that even if you are a bum and you've squandered opportunity, if you're listening to this, you have the IQ to do more. You have the ability to do more. It isn't as if it's all over. That That's where I think the, the problem of narrative storytelling, at least in the Western tradition, differs from other narrative storytellings where in, in the West, it is... Boy Meets Girl, Kurt Vonnegut did a beautiful lecture on this. I've posted a couple times. Maybe I'll repost because a lot of you are here listening to me for the first time talk about these structures. But if you look at the narrative storytelling structure of Kurt Vonnegut or every fairy tale, it is what boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl again. Or in the case of the, the Cinderella or the woman, woman meets boy, woman loses boy or woman loses wealth or woman loses status. And then woman gets it. In other words, there's a baseline where you start. Here I am. Then you get something. Then you lose it because it's not a good story if there isn't a loss. And then you gain it again. And how does every story end? You remember this. You're all about to say it in your own mind as you're listening in. You're saying this with your own mind. And they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) Isn't that nice and tidy? Well, really, Cinderella meets the boy, loses the boy. Boy finds Cinderella, they get married, then they have kids, and they find out their relationship changes. Maybe she spends more time with the children than with him. Maybe she ignores him. Maybe she's a bad parent. Maybe they don't have sex anymore. Maybe they don't spend enough time together. Maybe he has a lot of issues that he didn't realize he had. Maybe he doesn't know how to parent. Maybe he doesn't know how to be involved as a dad. Right? That's just the beginning. There is no one they all lived happily ever after. But that structure, which is a fairy tale, harms people in a way because you have the inverse of the fairy tale, which is I'm a bum. The end. Story's over. Could have been a contender. Now I'm nothing. I'm just a bum. Could have been so much more. Story ends. And they all lived unhappily ever after. But that's not true either. They, I know people who have been through extraordinary. I know a guy who tried to kill himself in an irresponsible way. He had lost his children, lost his marriage in a in a way that was very humiliating for a man. And he just sped through a red light, hoping a car would hit him. Very, very irresponsible because another person then would have been harmed through that choice. But he was wanted to die, hoped a car would just hit him. And then that would be his out. Oh, I just got hit by a car. Nobody would really know it was suicide. Now, Now the guy's living his best life ever. But he was a victim of those story structures. They all lived happily ever after. Wherever I am now is where I'm going to end up. It's all over. It's never going to end up. Because right now, even my life, I don't think I've lived happily ever after. I know that the story can change in a moment. I know that it can change for the worse. Um, For the better, I don't know how my life could really get that much better. Um, I suppose it would be incremental. We can always have incremental improvements in our life. But we, there's not going to be a big, huge leap where my life is suddenly more amazing. I'm at the point where a lot can go wrong. And I think about how a lot could go wrong. And what would happen if I never saw my children again? Every night before I go to bed, I make sure that I make eye contact, tell them I love them. This is how you have to begin to live. What if this person will never see you again? Because life is life and you don't know what's going to happen. Are you going to wish that you would talk to a friend? Are you going to wish that you would make contact with someone? Are you going to wish that you would call your mom more, your dad more, gave more love to your children, maybe worked a little bit less, maybe worked a little bit less so you could spend more time with your family, maybe worked a little bit more on yourself, so that if you're having that near-death experience, which often happens, there's a massive release of the methyl which is a different conversation, but time dilates to where a moment feels like an eternity. When that moment feels like an eternity and your life flashes before your eyes, are you going to feel a feeling of dread? This is my life. That was all that ever happened. That was all I ever did. I have such regret. I want to come back. Please. I want to come back. That's what everybody who comes back from a near-death experience says. I want to come back. I want another chance. It's been shown there was a great film, The Bridge, where they talked about people who commit suicide from the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. There's, I don't know how many a year, but it's quite a few. And the film's moving in a number of ways. The film's called The Bridge. If you haven't watched it, you should. And the people who do make it, one person said quite powerfully that immediately after I jumped, I regretted my decision. I realized then that every problem I thought I had, had a solution. All I wanted to do was live. Think about that. Every problem I thought I had, had a solution. They realized that in the very moment and that person was blessed to return to this world that most people aren't. That's going to be what we all face as we are on our deathbeds or even if you're in a car accident Again, you can do a lot of research into near death experiences. It isn't what you think it is, where you just die and you don't know you died. That almost never happens. There's usually that moment where your body releases DMT, which impacts your relationship with space and time. And in that one, two, three seconds as you're falling, one, two, three, four, five years, and you realize every problem I thought I had had a solution. All I want to do is live. Please let me come back. Please. I don't want to feel that way. And through ayahuasca, I've had near-death experience. And I felt just a deep sense of I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to be with my daughters. It taught me about love and nothing about success. Maybe I'll do a longer podcast on that. If you you find that topic interesting, near-death experiences, or maybe what people who have they call it ego death, but people who've experienced a ego death, which is scientifically indistinguishable from a near death experience that you believe you're dying, you think you're dying. It lasts a long time, brothers, a long time. And what you take away from that, I certainly had no regrets about my professional life at all. And I'm I'm glad of that. I had a sense of like sadness for the people that I'd be leaving behind. But that feeling even is beautiful maybe isn't the right term, but isn't it wonderful that if you're leaving this world, which we all will leave this world, we know this, just a matter of when, wouldn't it be so much more remarkable and majestic and tranquil and beautiful to know that when you leave this world, you're not even thinking of yourself and the work that you could have done and the experiences that you could have had and the legacy that you could have left. You're worried about the people who are going to have to carry on the work and carry on their own work of themselves and the work that you've done and their own journeys. And you only care for the people that you're leaving behind. Isn't that such a much better way to go where there is no regret? You feel sadness, you feel sorrow on a deep level, but you're not sitting there thinking you have work left undone and that the work was left undone because you were afraid to take the hero's journey. You were afraid to lose, to suffer, to languish, to get agony. You were afraid to push through pain. You were afraid to chase your dreams and your vision about life. You didn't want to take the hero's journey, but you wanted to be a hero. Wouldn't it be so much better to take the journey? And whatever happens is going to happen. That's what you'll learn. Whatever happens is going to happen. You might not like it when you're experiencing and I certainly didn't. I think I've had more than my... I think I've had an above-average level of trauma, certainly. Many people have had worse. Other people maybe have had less, but they don't have the tools to deal with it, so it's relatively worse. It's all, it's all individual to you. But I, I took the journey. I'm taking it now. I'm being very careful, actually, what I summon from the universe, because I'm enjoying this new plateau of tranquility, of spiritual exploration, learning more about love, myself, enlightenment, learning more about God, learning more about the greater truths of the world and the universe. I'm enjoying this. I'm being very careful because I'm kind of on a, I'm on a plateau and you want to be careful that you don't summon in. I'm not ready for the next story arc because I've lived the story arc often enough to know that it usually doesn't start off nice. Well, no, it usually starts off nice and then you have significant loss, significant Because that's what makes it the hero's journey. You don't become a hero by having an easy life. You don't become complex, rich, varied. You don't live an interesting life by having an easy life. There's an expression, the gypsy curse. That might not be a PC term anymore. We don't know. May you live in interesting times. There's a reason that's a curse because when you live a nice life in a way it's not particularly interesting. My life right now is more interesting than ever through the spiritual exploration, but it's not interesting in the way that it used to be. And I'm very happy about that. And I hope this continues for a while. Anything can happen, my friends. So what would I say? What would I say to you? What would I say to you? I would say, if you want to be a hero, take the journey. If you don't want to be a hero, don't. But don't live in a world of imagination don't live in a world of vicarious living where like I told people, you know, people that said, how could you shut down one of the biggest blogs of all time? Maybe the best written of all times. How could you just walk away from my writing? And I told people, I'd felt like it had become, there wasn't this term, but now there's a term called an OnlyFans. And I felt like my blog and my, my writing had become an OnlyFans, where people who weren't really living their lives would check in, read about what I was doing, and then think they were doing something in their life, and I had to get away from that. I had to get away from those people who, I'm, I'm not an OnlyFans, I'm not a piece of meat, I'm not someone to be put on the display and to shake my ass, and to take my clothes off for your edification. I'm somebody who shares a message of mindset, of personal power, of personal spiritual development of communion with God for you to go live your life, not to look at my life, no, not to to wonder what I eat for breakfast today. What do I, Don't worry about that. The only reason that's relevant is for maybe you to learn things. Okay, here's what Mike is doing. I'm going to go maybe see if that's the right approach for me. So I've been doing a lot of zone two cardio. I'm going to do a whole podcast on that. I don't want to digress in this too much, but I don't post that because I want you to look at it. I post that so you can say, Oh, okay, Mike's talking a lot about heart rate variability, heart rate training. He's you know, getting a little bit older, he's worried about cardiac health. Maybe I should go look into that for myself. Maybe that's the approach for me, or maybe it's not. Maybe you just want to be jacked and diesel, whatever. But I'm not posting that just to say, look at look at me shake my ass. The opposite. It's to say, here's an approach that I'm taking. Maybe this is a good approach for you. Maybe it isn't. But you have to go live your life. And so I had to shake off all the, the gawkers, the voyeurs, who they didn't want to live. They didn't want to take action. They wanted to use me as their avatar. It, was, it felt gross to me. It felt creepy to me that people would live that way. And I've shaken them all off. And now, even though my audience is, quote unquote, like less smaller, the only people around are the hitters. Well, not the only, but the vast majority of people still around are the hitters. They're the ones who want to learn and then they'll say, okay, Mike talked about this, the hero's journey. Yeah, maybe I'm not on it or maybe I'm going to, maybe I am on it. I didn't know it. Holy shit, I didn't realize that I think about the world in terms of story and that I thought every story had a tidy little end and that wherever I am is the end of the story, but really that's just a story arc. And I have three more, three more, five more, six more, seven more story arcs in me. So I'm at a low point in my life, but that's just an arc. That isn't the story. The story isn't over because I am happen to be falling down a hill. I'm just in the middle of a story arc. And now I'm going to write myself out of the story arc. And then the other side to that is if your life is incredible right now, dialed in and you're 10 out of 10, you realize, okay, that's not over though. I can't get lazy. I can't get cocky. I can't get the hubris. Pride cometh before a fall. I can't just wrap myself into my own masturbatory fantasy now because maybe I'm just in a good story arc. Maybe I'll stay in this great story arc for another 30 years. Maybe it'll all change in a moment and I have to be prepared for what might happen if the story takes a different turn. What if my life is going to take a turn for the worst? How would I respond to that? What work would I feel like I had left undone? I guarantee you it's not professional work. I guarantee you you're not thinking, Oh, I wish I'd have worked more. Some will. I mean if you have if you live poor then that's a different thing, but the people who listen to this tend to tend to have above average levels of what you would call material or traditional success. If you don't have those levels, we don't judge, we don't care. I don't ask anybody what they're worth. Nobody just like when people ask me, Oh, do you have crypto or do you have Bitcoin? Worry about your own bag. Worry about your own money. Don't ever worry about my bag. I don't ever talk about my bag. And I don't ask you about your bags. But the point is that, what if you lost it all? What would you feel like you hadn't done? Do you feel like you gave enough love in this world? Do you feel like you shared enough love? Do you feel like people know how much love you have for them? Is that the way you feel? Is that what would happen? If so, like I said, we all got to go. We're all going to go. We just don't know when but you want to believe that your life's work is done. Thanks for listening, my friends. This is Mike Cernovich, rockfin.com, rokfi com forward slash Cernovich. Be sure to sign up there. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the world.